Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Law for Virginia Law Enforcement Officers. Big E here, and we're talking about law that you need to know as a law enforcement officer in Virginia. New cases, uh, statutes, rulings from the various courts of appeals, the U.S. Supreme Court. What do you need to know if you are trying to better serve and strengthen your community uh, as a law enforcement officer here in Virginia? Police, sheriffs, fire marshals. I've been so uh, excited about the response that we've gotten to this podcast. Thank you so much, especially for people, the feedback, you know, the likes, the comments. It all really helps. Uh, it's good to know that you guys are out there listening. And boy, the response has been really great. I mean, we have hundreds of officers listening to every episode, and I'm really thankful for that. We've done a lot of episodes recently on new laws, the new statutes that have come out of the special session from the General Assembly. And uh, the special session just ended at the uh, right at the beginning of November, but we're getting ready to roll into the new general session, the regular session of the General Assembly, which starts up just in a couple of weeks. So today's episode, uh, I wanted to take a minute and do something a little different. Uh, normally, we talk about either new cases uh, from the Courts of Appeals, or we talk about new statutes that have been passed by the General Assembly, or maybe proposed statutes. But whenever we talk about this, I think I get a lot of questions from people it's sort of a like, you know, I don't really understand what's going on. I mean, not like I don't understand what people are thinking or why the statute is being proposed, but literally, I don't understand what's happening in the process. Um, and a lot of times we'll get questions from people who say, you know, why can't we have a statute that says this? We should propose a statute that says, you know, we should fix the search warrant problem with, um, you know, for example, with financial record subpoenas. There should be a statute. Why isn't there a statute proposed about this? And so what I thought I would do today is take a minute and sort of talk about, you know, how a bill becomes a law. In other words, what's the process? How is it structured in the General Assembly? And in, in doing so, kind of talk about what happens to public safety bills and help you to understand the process so that when we talk, especially this session, because I think there's going to be a lot of, again, controversial legislation coming through, it'll help us kind of have a common vocabulary about what's happening. So in, a, in some ways, today's podcast can be really basic, but in some ways, it's going to provide you with some inside knowledge that I think 99.9% .9 of Virginians don't know about how it is that we have the laws we do in Virginia. So uh, for lack of a better analogy, this is my, uh, if you ever used to watch Schoolhouse Rock when you were a kid, uh, and there was a little song, I'm, I'm Bill, just a Bill, um, up here on Capitol Hill. This is my version of it, except I'm not going to sing. And for that, you're welcome. Okay, so... What are we talking about when we talk about the General Assembly and we talk about the new laws, whether it's in the special session or regular session, what are we talking about when we say General Assembly? Right? We always have, we have three houses. We have uh, of, of government. We have the executive branch. That's the governor. We've got the legislative branch. That's the Virginia General Assembly. And that's made up of a house and a Senate, just like in the Congress. And then we have the judicial branch, which is the, which is the Virginia Supreme Court. And it's interesting to note, first of all, that the Supreme Court, you know, the, the judicial branch, the Virginia Supreme Court, runs a lot of things, right? So they run the courts, obviously, but uh, the, they also, um, the, the public defenders also report to them. So the public defenders are part of that judicial branch of government. They're not part of the executive branch. They're not part of the legislative branch. Virginia State Police are part of the executive branch of government. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and probation officers, they're part of Department of Corrections, and that's part of the executive branch of government. But the legislative branch, that's what we're going to talk about today, that's the Virginia House and the Virginia Senate. There are fewer senators than there are members of the House. And again, that's very typical. It's just like the uh, Congress of the United States. And, uh, and, and the House and the Senate both have the authority to propose bills and 
uh, have bills passed out of their houses and sent to the other house for approval and then sent to the governor for signature. But how this process works is actually pretty important and it really shapes how uh, the laws that end up governing law enforcement of Virginia come about. The first thing that's really important to note is that if, you, if you're a bill, if you want to build a pass, if you have an idea, and let's say, for example, our idea is to fix the problem that um, you know, magistrates don't think they have the authority to issue a search warrant for financial records. Um, the code clearly indicates that you can send search warrants for financial records to other places, even out of state, and that the return can take a long period of time. But they don't think the code is clear enough um, that they can issue search warrants when the records aren't currently available at the local branch of the local bank or whatever. So we have a bill. We want to get it passed. So how does that bill actually get even proposed, get before the General Assembly? The first most important thing to know about this process is that it has to be proposed by a member of the General Assembly. So somebody in the House or somebody in the Senate has to propose this bill. And that's actually a pretty significant impediment to getting legislation in front of the General Assembly. Even if the governor has an idea or the attorney general has an idea and they have a bill that they want to propose, they don't have the authority to, uh, to, to put that bill in front of the House or the Senate. They can't do that. The attorney general can't sponsor a bill and say, I want you to consider this. The governor can't say, you know, legalization, I want you to consider legalization of marijuana, consider it now. The most the governor can do to force the General Assembly to consider something is to call a special session when they're not in session and make them come back and consider it. But a number of years ago, the governor tried to do that with uh, firearms. He wanted firearms laws to change. He called a special session. The General Assembly met. But uh, they took up no bills. Uh, they, you know, basically had a one-minute hearing and dismissed everybody and sent everybody home. He doesn't have the power to put a bill in front of the House or the Senate. Only a senator or representative can do that. What that means then is that if, if we had this bill, if we had this, this bill we want to propose about financial records, we've got to find somebody to sponsor it. Well, if you try to find somebody to sponsor it, uh, the first question that's going to be asked is, uh, you know, who can sponsor it and are they willing to sponsor it? And when you're asking, are they willing to sponsor it? They're going to have to sit down and sort of do a calculation. They're only given a certain number of bills that they can sponsor uh, in any usual session. Now, the special session was a little bit different. That process I mean, it sort of was whatever they wanted it to be. But the, the, the regular session, the general session, they have a limit on the number of bills. Sometimes that number is eight bills or 10 bills or, you know, 12 bills. Um, and sometimes it changes a little bit and we're not going to get into why it, there's, there's on years and off years, budget years, non-budget years, short sessions, long sessions. I'm not going to get into all that. The important thing for you to know is that each member of the House, each member of the Senate has a limited number of bills that they can propose. And so they have to kind of pick and choose among the ideas and say, um, you know, what am I, what am I going to put my name on? What am I going to propose? Now, other people can sponsor these bills. They can sponsor them themselves. Sometimes people can put exactly the same idea out. Sometimes they can put out the same idea. But let's say, you know, our example, we find somebody to sponsor it and that person sponsors the bill and the bill says that a magistrate can issue a warrant for financial records, um, just like an electronic service warrant anywhere in the United States. But somebody else proposes it and they want it to be a judge of a circuit court, right? So we'll just have two different bills and then they'll have to decide between those two different bills. Um, and there's little things to look for sometimes uh, when, when legislators are, are sponsoring bills. Sometimes you'll see, uh, if you look it up online, there's a website that shows when they sponsor these bills, it'll say by request. And, you know, in some ways you're thinking to yourself, well, all these bills are by request. I mean, 
maybe they have generated them by themselves, but a lot of these bills are bills that somebody has wanted them to put on, right? So our bill is by request. Would that say by request on it? And you only generally speaking put by request next to a bill if you're saying I'm sponsoring this because somebody in my area has asked me to put this up. I don't necessarily know if it's a good idea or a bad idea, but somebody in my jurisdiction really wants to go to bat for this and I'm willing to stand there while they go to bat for this piece of legislation. But the legislator isn't necessarily endorsing the idea when they put by request next to the bill. So we don't want our bill to have by request written next to it because that's, that's a little bit of a, it's some standing back. We want them to sponsor it. We want them to think it's a really good idea. Now, when are they gonna propose this bill? Well, as it turns out, you know, there's a period of time when bills can be proposed. Now, the General Assembly begins usually in the second week of January or so, um, and it sort of depends. Um, this year, uh, the General Assembly is starting a little bit late uh, for various reasons, um, but they're going to start meeting, I think, on January 12th or 13th. Don't hold me to that. I'm not 100% sure. Um, they, we, the bills can start to be proposed oftentimes in November. So you can drop your bill. We use the word drop for propose, for uh, introducing it, for putting it up online and allowing people to look at it um, as early as a couple of months before the session begins. But most, a lot of the time, not most of the time, but a lot of the time, General Assembly members will wait until the absolute last minute to propose their bill. Now, why is that? Wouldn't you want your bill to get out there and get uh, publicity? Well, maybe you would if you're proposing that bill in order to get publicity or in order to get recognition, or if your bill is very non-controversial. You have a bill you want to propose uh, that we, every November 1st, um, celebrate the life of John Glenn, um, you know, the first man in space, or the first American in space, rather. Yuri Gagarin was the first man in space, uh, first American in space. Um, so, yeah, you know, okay, so we're going to have John Glenn Day. Well, I'm going to propose that pretty early on. It's pretty non-controversial. Uh, I'll propose it, I'll get my name behind it, I'll go out and start, you know, drumming up support for it and so on. I'm going to do that pretty early. But if I've got a proposal that might get a lot of negative attention, that people, if they spend a lot of time with it, are going to really start tearing it apart and sort of using it as a dartboard, and by the time that we get to the floor, a lot of people will have a chance to attack it. If I don't want that to happen to my bill, I might propose it at the absolute last minute so that people don't have a chance to go through and find all the little problems with it. Now you might say that's very cynical, but unfortunately that's something that a lot of people do in the General Assembly. So, you know, proposals to legalize marijuana, right? If I have a bill and it's 30 or 40 pages, if I put it out right now, well, people are just gonna spend a lot of time tearing it apart, right? And by the time it reaches the floor, people will have ripped that thing to shreds. On the other hand, if I propose it at the absolute last minute, maybe you know, a couple of days before the session, right before the session, or even as the session is beginning, people don't have as much time to spend with it and can't tear it apart as much. Now, that's not to say that bills don't get torn apart even after they're proposed. Because the next process is, once I've dropped my bill, once I've proposed my bill, once my bill is out there in public, um, it's going to go through the committee process. Before I get to that, though, I want to emphasize that this doesn't mean that these bills are necessarily secret. These, the language in these bills might be getting circulated among maybe people who are friendly to the idea or people that I'm concerned might not be friendly or might be able to help the idea. So this language might be going around and might be being seen in different places. There's a couple of places where these uh, bills oftentimes do get seen in public before they hit the General Assembly. And one of them is a place called the Crime Commission, the Virginia State Crime Commission. 
It's a criminal justice agency, but it's established by the General Assembly, not the executive branch, to study, report, and make recommendations on areas of public safety. And the, uh, usually the chair of the House uh, uh, Courts of Justice Committee is the chair of the Crime Commission. They appoint different members of the Crime Commission. Um, in the past, it's been a little bit of a balanced, not totally balanced, but there's been Republican members and, conserv- and Democratic members, liberal members, conservative members, members who were part of criminal justice agencies, member, you know, members of the community. And when in the past, they've tried to sort of build a consensus among all those different players to come up with bill language and proposals that are sort of, um, that, that meet everybody's needs and are good ideas and solve problems, right? So there was a problem for a long time, for example, with um, people finger, people's fingerprints not being taken and people getting convictions for crimes like murder and it not going on their criminal record. And so the Crime Commission studied that problem and tried to come up with legislation to fix that problem and uh, and propose legislation. Or there's an issue about restitution, that victims weren't getting paid their restitution. So all the players come together and come up with this idea to solve that issue uh, and then, so you see that language in public, at public meetings, it would be debated, and then it would come out of the Crime Commission and go to the General Assembly. Everyone had seen the language, and the Crime Commission, despite all these different unique voices, uh, would generally not pass anything unless everyone agreed on it. So if it came out of the Crime Commission, there it would come into the General Assembly, and it would be have that imprimatur of, this is a Crime Commission bill, this is something that everybody at the Crime Commission agreed on, regardless of what their you know, voice was, regardless of what their perspective was, they all thought it was a good idea. And that, you know, it had been worked on really heavily. So that carried a lot of weight with the General Assembly. Um, unfortunately, Crime Commission is not like that anymore. They do kind of do things that are more partisan, that they don't get necessarily get the agreement that they used to. So it doesn't have that same weight, but that process is out there. Another place that's like that is the Joint Legislative Audit and Review Commission, or JLARC, they provide legislative oversight about state agencies and programs. They gather and evaluate information, and they make recommendations for legislators in considering legislation. Um, so that's another you know group that's like that. Um, there's the Virginia Criminal Justice Conference. That's a group of prosecutors, defense attorneys, judges, uh, people from the attorney general's office. They make proposals about the criminal justice system. So sometimes there's issues like with juvenile justice. And there, uh, the Virginia Criminal Justice Conference will have worked on legislation. Uh, we'll have, again, all these different players will have kind of had their voice heard and will have come up with something. And so something that sort of unanimously comes out of VCJC, the Virginia Criminal Justice Conference, again, will have that. They'll have a lot of public hearings. They'll have a lot of debate. They'll have a lot of different voices heard and they'll come th- something through. And then that will come before the General Assembly with that um, with that view, with that. Um, kind of imprimatur of, you know, we've worked on this hard, a lot of different voices were heard, we can all agree this is a good idea. That's going to carry a lot of weight with the General Assembly. And not necessarily going to sway them, but it's going to carry a lot of weight. And again, it's not necessarily something that, um, you know, was done in the dark in somebody's office in a smoke-filled room or something. So there's different groups that are like that um, out there. Um, the... Um, so back to the process. So we've got a bill, it's written, maybe it's a VCJC bill, or it's a, a crime commission bill, or it's just an individual legislator's bill. It's our idea. Um, this In this case, it's going to be our search warrant idea. So we find a legislator to propose this. This legislature, she decides it's going to be one of her limited number of bills. She's in the House, so she's going to propose it. So the first thing that happens is that the Speaker of the House decides, or the Speaker of the Senate uh, decides, where does this bill start out? What committee does this start in? And it's really important to know that that decision about what committee it goes to, in some ways, is the most important decision that'll get made about that bill. 
Um, there's a lot of different committees in both the House and the Senate where things get hearing. In the Senate, you've got agriculture, commerce, labor, courts of justice, education, health, finance, general laws and technology, local government, privileges and elections, rehabilitation, social services, rules, transportation, and similar bills, uh, similar groups uh, in the in the in the House. Um, the uh, the House has a lot of subcommittees in their criminal in their courts of justice committee, but the courts of justice committee and the Senate does now too. The Courts of Justice Committee is the place where you usually see criminal justice bills heard, right? So a lot of the bills that we talked about in the update about special session, those are bills that went through the Courts of Justice Committee. And uh, that's going to be a place where we consider changes to 18.2 and 19.2, right? So that'll be pretty important. If we had a bill that was a traffic bill, though, that might go to a different place. Um, it, you know, it might go to... Um, uh, I can't remember, I, you know, it might go to militia, police, and public safety, for example, in the House, right? Um, if it was a bill, for example, about, uh, you know, DCJS and how police departments were organized and so on, again, that might go to militia, police, and public safety. And everyone, you know, sort of knows there's different members of each committee and the makeup of those committee and, you know, who's a lawyer, who's not a lawyer, who's in favor of certain ideas, who's not in favor of certain ideas, who opposes anything that is going to cost money, who doesn't. These decisions and who's the chair of the committee, who's not the chair of the committee, these decisions and this knowledge can really affect what's going to happen to our bill. Will our bill go to general laws? Will our bill go to courts of justice? Will our, will our bill go to militia, police, and public safety? Um, there's a committee called rules that doesn't even meet publicly. Uh, that just sort of, and they don't, we don't really know when they meet. They sort of meet on the floor of the House or the Senate, and they sort of meet informally. Um, and, and generally speaking, don't pass anything. Rule, rules was a place that, you know, bills sort of died in the past. Um, so, you know, it's really an important decision where our bill is going to go. Now, when it gets to the committee, let's say, for example, with our bill, which is a, a bill involving uh, electronic, excuse me, involving financial records, right? Let's say because it involves um, financial records, the speaker sends it to Commerce and Labor. When it gets to Commerce and Labor, the chair of Commerce and Labor or the members of the committee might say, you know, this really is about criminal justice. We don't really know anything about search warrants. We don't really understand the procedure. We don't spend a lot of time worrying about this. This is really something that courts of justice should be dealing with. So they can re-refer it. They can send it to courts of justice. Um, but if they don't, then they get to consider it and take it up. So we've got our legislature, legislator, uh, and she has decided she's going to carry our bill. And she's in the House. And so our bill ends up in courts of justice. It's going to end up in the, maybe the criminal subcommittee. Civil, it'll end up in the criminal subcommittee. And when is it going to be heard? When is it going to come up? Okay, so we have to propose it. We have to figure out when we're going to propose it. So let's say we decide to propose it sometime in the middle of December, end of December. We're not afraid of people seeing this language. We're not afraid of people analyzing it and taking it apart. So we propose it. It gets on the calendar. When's it going to come up? Well, you know, we talk a lot about open meetings and there's FOIA and all these requirements of Freedom of Information Act and all this kind of stuff. The Freedom of Information Act doesn't apply to the General Assembly. And a lot of the open meeting rules that we're used to about having to meet and post agendas and stuff doesn't apply to the General Assembly. They can set their committee dockets. They can set their meetings whenever they want. And we may not know when the committee is going to meet necessarily. Traditionally, they have a meeting schedule. But to talk about our bill, we don't know when our bill is going to come up. We may not know until the day before. Commonly, we don't know until the day before. In fact, oftentimes, we may not know until the day of when our bill is going to come up. Now, 
we've decided that we really want to get behind this bill, that we really want to advocate for our bill. But uh, we're going to have to sit around and wait for our legislator to call us and say, hey, guess what? It's on the docket and it's on the docket tomorrow. So you got to come out and talk about it. If you don't come out and talk about it, though, you're leaving it in her hands to advocate for that bill. And that's not a great idea because what's going to happen is the first step in the process is it comes before a subcommittee and the subcommittee is going to basically ask, what's your bill? What's the problem it's trying to fix and how does it fix it? And if our legislator doesn't know what the problem is and can't articulate it well and answer questions from other members of the subcommittee, then they're not going to be really interested in it. And they're just going to uh, table it, leave it on the table, basically let it die, uh, pass it by indefinitely, uh, end the bill. So it'll die right there in subcommittee. And if it dies in subcommittee, then that might be our one shot at ever having that bill considered. We've got to get it past that subcommittee to get it before the full committee for a real vote so we can get it to the floor of the House. So we got to make sure we're listening for our House member to give us a call. We're ready for her to show up, even on a couple of hours notice, or somebody's got to show up to advocate for this bill to explain what the bill is. So you go to the subcommittee and the party in power will have, you know, one more vote than the party that's not in power. But they'll ask you questions. What's going on? Um, they may try to make amendments, make changes to the bill. You may say, you know what, somebody may ask a question. Hey, doesn't this bill, uh, why does this bill only apply to banks? Shouldn't it also apply to credit card companies and money service businesses? You might say, yeah, it's a good idea. And that legislator might say, well, I'm willing to entertain a friendly amendment to add those in. Then somebody might move to amend it. They'd have to agree to vote to amend it. And then the language would be amended right there on the floor. They could amend, they could issue their own amendment. They could issue an amendment that says you can't get one of these warrants except with a circuit court opinion. They could have, they could say, I want to have it a, uh, with a circuit court signature. They could say, I don't want to do it except in cases of grand jury. They could amend it to say that these warrants shouldn't be issued at all under any circumstances. They don't want these things to be issued under any circumstances, uh, or maybe should only be issued for violent crimes. And you then would be stuck with this amended bill. If they vote in favor of this amendment, you can't. You know, you might, that might be the bill that ends up going forward and you had no intention of that ever happening. But whatever that form of that bill is that comes out of that subcommittee, it goes to the full committee. Now, in front of the full committee, there's less chance for uh, public comment. It is before the subcommittee when you're going to have a lot of public comment. So not just your back and forth between the subcommittee members, but the public can come in and comment on this. And this is the important point when, uh, where we talk about lobbyists and people who are there who kind of camp out the General Assembly and wait for bills to come up and comment on them. Don't you know the banking industry are going to be interested and they're going to flag this bill and they're going to have an opinion about it. And the General Assembly is going to want to know, what does the banking industry think about this? And that, that chance at the subcommittee is for the banking industry person to come up and talk. Now, uh, generally speaking, they put you know, in the past, they haven't put really strict limits on people speaking. You do get a few minutes to talk. In COVID times, when the General Assembly has met online, they've cut back public comment so you can have to sign up ahead of time. And if you don't sign up in time, then they cut it off. And then what you sign up for, you may only get a minute or two minutes. Now with our bill, our bill is going to be a chain that maybe a paragraph or two long. So a minute or two might, minutes might not seem like, you know, a problem. But if somebody proposes a marijuana bill and it's a 30 or 40 page bill, remember public comment is limited to the first maybe 10 or 20 people who sign up. And those people only get a minute to talk on a 30 or 40 page bill. You got to pick your words wisely. And you might think, well, that's crazy. A 30 or 40 page bill. How could you possibly give proper public comment when you've got a 30 or 40 page bill? 
And it's important to know here that everything I'm talking about this outside the subcommittee hearing and so on is just a part of the lobbying that's going on, the communication that's going on about a bill. Because those subcommittee members and then those full committee members, when they're considering this piece of legislation that we've got, are also getting visited and talked to and lobbied uh, by different interest groups and people who are interested in the bill when they're not in session. So the banking industry will have a public comment that they'll make about our bill that'll be you know a minute long, if that's what the limit is now, uh, assuming they sign up to take that comment. But that doesn't mean that they haven't privately gone to legislators and said, we think this is a good idea. We think this is a bad idea. We think this idea is good, but we want you to include that law enforcement should have to pay for the records. Right? And so when it comes to that subcommittee hearing or the full committee hearing, somebody might have an amendment and say, I want it to be that the law enforcement clearly has to pay for these records. Now, why did they come up with that? Because somebody came to them and spoke to them. So that's why it's so important, this lobbying, because it sometimes becomes the only time when somebody can go through with a legislator for more, have more than a minute of their attention to sort of say, okay, here, you've got this page-long bill or this 30-page-long bill or 40-page bill. Let's go through what the problems are so that you understand it. So this subcommittee process is going on, this full committee process is going on, then they vote. When the full committee meets, there's no public comment being made. So again, that lobbying is so important because that's the only chance that the legislators ever, ever really have to, to go through the real language of the bill. Then they vote. And if they vote uh, in favor, a majority votes in favor of the bill, or they want to amend it and they vote in favor of the amendment, whatever form that bill takes, it goes to the full house. And then on the floor of the full house, there are several different readings of it. But eventually on the third reading, it gets voted on and they either vote for it or they vote against it. And if the house votes for it, in favor of it, a majority votes in favor of it, it goes to the Senate. And then the whole process starts over again. Subcommittee, full committee, goes to the full floor of the Senate, just the same way as it did in the house. And they don't care what the house did. So if it gets to the Senate and it gets before the Senate and the Senate says, well, why should law enforcement have to pay for these records? We're taking that out. We don't like it. We're taking that out of the record. Well, now what passes the Senate ultimately is a version of the bill that says they don't have, the law enforcement doesn't have to pay for the records. And in the house is a version that says that law enforcement does have to pay for the records. So they've both passed your bill, our bill, but they've passed different versions. So what happens now? Well, now it goes to a conference committee and the conference committee, that's not a public hearing. Uh, that's not even a full committee. It might just be a handful of legislators, maybe four or five legislators. We never get to see what they talk about. We never get to see the conversation that they have, but some kind of compromise comes out of that conference committee. Let's say the conference committee meets and they decide we're going to compromise and our compromise is going to be law enforcement should not have to pay for the records. At that point then, it goes back for the House and the Senate. And let's say both the House and the Senate finally agree and they say, okay, fine, we'll pass that bill. It goes to the governor. Now the governor has the opportunity to, to consider the bill and the governor will consider whether to sign this bill or not. Now the governor, he'll get advice from his secretary of public safety. Um, he'll get advice from maybe the Department of Criminal Justice Services who's under the secretary of public safety or DOC or Virginia State Police. He'll also get advice from other people, maybe whoever he decides to talk to. Um, he might decide to talk to activists, um, who, you know, he might talk to the finance, finance industry. And banking lobbyists might talk to the governor and might say, we want law enforcement to have to pay for these records. So at that point, the governor has the option of vetoing the legislation, and he can make a recommendation. This is the first time the governor can really write legislation, but he could say, I'm vetoing this legislation, I'm recommending that you insert a line that says government, that law enforcement should have to pay for these records if they get a search warrant for them and it's served out of state. So it goes back to the General Assembly and they have a choice now. They can override the governor's veto 
Uh, and if they do so, if they, have, if they have enough votes to override the veto, then regardless of what the governor thinks, it, the bill becomes a law. Or they can accept the governor's recommendation. And then if they accept the governor's recommendation, they re-vote on the bill with the governor's new language in it. So let's say a majority of the House and the majority of the Senate decide that they agree, okay, we're not going to fight the governor on this. Maybe we don't have the votes to fight the governor on this. Let's insert that language back in, that law enforcement should have to pay for these records if they get a search warrant for out-of-state records from a local magistrate. So at that point, then, uh, they re-vote. The House votes in favor of it. The Senate votes in favor of it. The, uh, the, um, the governor has already recommended this and has said, I will sign it if you include this language. So it goes back before the governor. The governor signs it. And our bill has become a law. And it will appear in the code uh, the next hearing, you know, in, in four months, basically. So generally speaking, when the General Assembly adjourns, that's uh, usually, you know, April, May, March or April. Um, so in those cases, the new laws take effect in July 1. There are sometimes exceptions to that. The General Assembly can say it's an emergency. It has to happen right now. And from time to time, they will pass an emergency bill where they're trying to fix something right now. And sometimes they'll put the bill off for a year or two if they're still trying to, if they know that they're passing a sweeping change. Like they told Department of Corrections that instead of getting, serving 85% of their sentence, they, in this last special session, told General Assembly, told, told Department of Corrections that they want prisoners to only serve 50% of their sentences. Uh, to get sentencing credits if they do all the things in the programs that they have at General Assembly. So I'm sorry, they have a DOC at Department of Corrections. So that's a big change. And Department of Corrections is going to have to spend a lot of time figuring out new rules and regulations and how to implement this. So they gave Department of Corrections until 2022 to implement that change. But generally speaking, most new laws take effect um, you know, about four months after the General Assembly meets in, in July 1 uh, of the following year. If it's a special session, it's four months after the special session is over. So uh, there you go. That's how a bill becomes a law. I, I don't know if this is interesting or, or useful to you, um, but I hope it was. I hope it gives some understanding. We're going to talk about, again, a very contentious, very controversial, maybe very confusing special uh, general session of the General Assembly coming up. And I thought it would be useful for us to talk, to have some sort of common language. So for today, that's all from me. That's all from Big E. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends. If you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. But other than that, Please stay safe out there. Take care of yourselves. Please have a great Christmas, great holiday, a great new year. Uh, we'll keep putting out podcasts as we come to the General Assembly giving you updates. Stay safe and don't get captured.